Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Batier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Andrew Stearns, product owner at TGS. As you all know, you've listened to a few episodes now recently. They've all been coming from NAEP, and TGS is our sponsor for the OGGN podcast recording studios here at NAEP. As a reminder, with decades of experience, TGS aims to provide deep insights and understanding to support society's evolving energy needs. Across the energy spectrum, through innovation and data-driven solutions, they utilize diverse data sources, including their own, to create actionable insights that enable you, the user, to make the right decisions. Check them out. The link is in the show notes or just go to TGS.com. So I'm here today with Andrew. We are talking about data. Andrew, as we get started here, could you give me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to TGS, kind of what your role is, what you do, what you're, what's really getting you out of getting you up in the morning now of course yeah and thanks for having me on the show joe so i'm actually a, a geologist by background um graduated about two years ago from university of houston um and in the depths of the the oil crash of the pandemic so your question about you know what gets me out of bed in the morning and and what am i working on it's it's nothing that i thought i was going to work on when i was going through school and it's amazing to see how much the world has really changed in the last, I'd say, three years since I got out of school. Um, so I'm working on primarily pressure data as a product owner at TGS. Um, and really what that stems from is finding a lot of discarded and really left for dead paper data or scan data that really wasn't thought to be very useful until, I guess, the last five years. Um, and that's something that TGS specializes in, but something I find really fascinating is there's all of this data lying around in warehouses, in somebody's server, on some floppy disk somewhere, and making use of that data is something that we're really working hard to do um, and are doing specifically with some of this pressure data we're providing to the market. Yeah, that is very exciting. I've, I've heard the phrasing dark data before associated with these data that are that are still in some type of analog paper copy form that unless you have that piece of paper that data might as well not exist for you right and and luckily TGS has spent you know the last 40 years or so building um, that library through scanning heavy scanning projects operator donations um, and about six months ago, a bunch of clients were coming to us, especially in the CCS space, and saying, well, it's great, you know, you guys 
recently brought a drill some test data to market, but you know we're missing a lot of of coverage across the U.S. And is there anything else you can provide? Um, so after digging through a lot of our scanned uh, files, we found all of this data primarily delivered with the logs that was just never digitized or made useful at scale. And now that we're bringing that to market, it's a huge, uh, huge advantage for those in the CCS industry. And we think that uh, we're seeing a lot of excitement from them as we're bringing this to market. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. So let's let's break down what exactly we're talking about here. So you've said pressure data. What do you mean when you say pressure data? Right. There's a bunch of different types of pressure tests that you can run on the well, and um, I'm not an engineer by background, so <laughs> I'll keep this a little bit light. But there's several different types of tests based on you know the vintage, basically when they ran the test, and then what they're trying to accomplish. A lot of the historical, really old data from you know the 50s through the 80s, drill some tests, which are considered to be the highest form or highest accuracy form of pressure data, was the thing that was done on all the wildcat wells in the Rocky Mountains, um, in any well that you drilled. Very expensive, also very dangerous. Um, you're thinking about all this pressure being taken, pressure measures being taken, had a lot of blowouts. That sort of evolved in the 80s with a lot of the new Schlumberger tools, such as the older formation tester, um, the repeat formation tester, which is what we've recently brought to market in the 70s through about the mid-90s, and then some newer tools called the modular dynamics tester, and there's some other non-Schlumberger tools as well that are involved in that. So all of those different types of tests we're bringing to market but with the key things that people are looking for is what are what we call the, the shut-in pressures when they expose the, the tool that they run down the hole to the maximum pressure of the reservoir. And that tells the geologist or the engineer, here's what we should anticipate that reservoir, original reservoir pressure being in that interval. Okay. Very interesting. So I would imagine that there is a maybe a challenge there as you're talking about different vintages of data then how do you how do you make sure you're comparing apples to apples when you've got these different types of testing and these different ages and presumably different different completions and different different the the top side, the Christmas tree part of mm -hmm. the well design, how do you actually make sure you know that this test from the 50s can also be used with a test from the 80s to start looking at, at things? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I'll answer that in two ways. So something that TGS really prides itself on is preserving the original data as it came to us so we do provide some interpretations on that data, but the main thing we want to provide to the technical teams um, in operator you know, technical groups is, here's what we saw in the log, and here's what we're providing you. And we'll give you all of the vintage information, um, all of the testing dates, testing companies, things like that, so you're able to make that decision on your own. That being said, it sounds complex, but there's really two goals of this testing. What fluids are present, and what is the pressure? So the fluid, um, the different fluid cuts are telling the reservoir engineers, 
you know, here's our GOR or here's what we can expect at depth. And then the pressure, what they're really trying to figure out is what is the maximum pressure? So for traditional oil and gas applications, it tells them, okay, well, this is my maximum pressure that directly goes into my um, IP modeling. So what does my initial production forecast look like? And that directly affects that model. And then on the CCS side, it's the same story. I mean, how much am I going to be able to inject? What does that um, initial injection profile look like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, it's definitely understandable. And, and that, that was my next question is how do you actually utilize and why do people care about this pressure data, which you just answered now the, so being able to understand the ability to actually inject either CCS or what that production potential is going to be. Why, I guess, how do you go about, what am I trying to ask here? The, to me, there, there is so much out there already in terms of, of CCS projects and the forward, call it forward movement of the CCS industry of developing these prospects and, and developing project locations. But it sounds like you kind of need this pressure data to really know what you've got there. Right. And basically what it's giving you um, is a look into the original pressure. So even if you're picking up an old asset, for example, in the traditional oil and gas space, it's telling you what your original pressure you're working with. So if you're an engineer or you know production engineer, you can look, all right, well, what were we working with initially? And that's going to affect how I view how much production potential is left. Now in the CCS space, it's the same kind of story. Um, you're probably looking for more of an under-pressured reservoir in that case. But to answer your question on more like how are you using it and what's different about the data being brought to market today, no one has really brought this data to market at scale and use it at scale. And that's the difference that we're seeing today. And obviously this data has been used historically, usually on a one-off basis. But the big difference today is we're able to put it into a digital format and then say, all right, we'll put this into an application like, for example, Spotfire or Power BI, and you're able to analyze the data at scale like you've never been able to do before. So what does that really mean? Well, let's say I isolate all of the data, pressure data that I have in the Permian, I can say, put that on a subsea versus pressure graph, and I immediately understand my pressure gradient in that area. So very quick um, analytics and visualization applications on this. And now that it's all digital, you have applications that ex exist, exist today to be able to do all of that analysis on the fly, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is interesting, and I think that it definitely sounds like it would help because as you're trying to repressurize an un, under-pressured or depleted field, repressurizing it with with CCS or carbon dioxide, now that ability to repressurize is really also saying, what is your it, it is what's your ability to bring this back up to where it was at one point. How much of that pore space is, is not only still there, but also accessibly there and usable. That's very cool. Now, 
we've been talking about the data, how to use it, why, why you should use it. We haven't talked about how much data and where it is. So can you talk a little bit about that? How much data, where is it, and, and, and also, how is this different than what was available before? Good question. There's a lot to unpack there. Yes. And <laughs> the way that I'll approach it is going back to the beginning and the pressure testing in the form that we know it was primarily um, started with drill some tests in the early 1930s when, when you see the first, um, what they call DSTs, were taken. Um, and then that was big in the Rocky Mountains, some in the Permian, a lot of where you see that historical data. So you can kind of follow our vintages by where data or where, where drilling was really hot in those different eras. So Rocky Mountains, there was a lot of you know thrust belt exploration in the 60s and 70s and even 80s. We see a lot of the DSTs being taken there. Um, and then our, what we call RFTs or other pressure products, big along the Gulf Coast, Gulf of Mexico, um, and so on. So our total number of wells for which we have pressure data um, sits right over 100,000. So test-wise, close to 400,000. Um, obviously, we haven't digitized everything yet, but our projections kind of indicate those are going to be the total numbers once it's all said and done. Okay. 400,000, and that's across primarily the continental U.S. then? Yeah. So that's going to be... DSTs across the continental U.S., Rockies, Permian, Anadarko, Midcon, and then the other kind of newer tools, more on the Gulf Coast, Gulf of Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So really kind of wherever anybody is looking to potentially be developing a, a CCS project or or any additional infill drilling or, or new prospects for for traditional oil and gas. Right. And, you know, we started in the Permian, obviously, because that's the the uh, hottest area where, right now. Where everybody's drilling. <laughs> and your question about, or your comment about, you know, the CCS activity on the Gulf Coast is where we've now pushed the majority of our efforts for bringing this data to market. So the Gulf Coast trend and some of the shallow Gulf of Mexico where we're seeing a lot of operators with these big CCS projects they're announcing, and we understand at some point they're going to need to understand some data. Those reservoir engineers are going to need to understand what the projected reservoir pressure is at depth. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So as, you are, as you're talking to clients, or maybe your, your experience as you are looking at this data, what, what, has their, what is the aha moment? When you're looking at it, what's the thing that that seems like common sense, but it didn't make sense until you actually saw the data? I think the biggest surprise, it's usually from the reservoir engineers. Um, so this data generally has existed. You can find digitized pressure data from scout cards that's out there in some capacity. But the couple of problems that you didn't really see across the space was standardized standardized format or schema to how the data actually looks. And that's probably the biggest thing that we've done that has really been a game changer. And the ones that always get the reservoir engineers really interested 
is providing what we call a, a digital build-up curve or incremental shut-in curve. And what that means is when they lower the tool down the hole, they'll expose the tool to the actual full reservoir pressure, but it takes a while for that pressure to actually build up and what we call stabilize. So it can be anywhere from, let's say, 60 to 200 minutes on a DST, much shorter on some of the newer tools because they're designed to kind of speed up. But what the reservoir engineers really like to see is the ability to see how the pressure stabilizes. Because it tells them what's the projected permeability on this, um, on this reservoir, you know, and also parsing any reservoir damage done by the initial drilling. What they're really trying to figure out is um, what the reservoir pressure is truly. So we're not only providing that digitized data that they can actually look at, those curves, which previously were not available on the market, but also providing the full analysis to calculate what we call the original maximum reservoir pressure. So they'll take some pressure measurements on the tool, but you actually have to go back calculate the original reservoir pressure, which is usually a little bit higher than what they actually capture with the tool. Um, and that's a lot of minutiae and a lot of details for the reservoir engineers, but they really appreciate that because it's key to their job in building the reservoir model and then how much they can actually inject or pull out of the ground with their yeah. production models. Yeah, very interesting. And, and yeah, I think that's a perfect example of why you need this data and why, why you need it to make the best prediction and understanding possible of the reservoir. Where, when, where do you see the most, the most interest? We've talked about traditional oil and gas and CCS. Is there, is there more interest from one area, one, one geographic location and one sector more than the other, or somebody who you're surprised by who maybe isn't that interested in the data? I'd say the two biggest areas of really high interest right now are more of the conventional players. Um, surprisingly, a lot of the newer geologists and engineers, or more of the new geologists, haven't necessarily seen this data as much. But it's very applicable to conventional, more so than unconventional if you're not doing exploration. But by far the biggest area of interest has been CCS. Um, that's where we've seen more, the most interest in terms of this data because basically they're looking at these saline uh, units to inject. Um, and that's where a lot of our data is covered. So a lot of this data was taken on wildcat wells where they don't know what they're doing, don't know what to expect. So they're taking as many pressure measurements down the hole as they can. So you're actually able to see on some wells, you know, 10 to 20 pressure measurements that they test every formation they run into. Wow. Um, and for some of these CCS players, that's huge. It could be what looks like an unusable data point or like, why would we ever need this? But in today's world, it becomes very valuable to them. Um, but that's also because of market conditions too. So especially with the, you know, the, the DSTs and some of that um, historical information, it's great for exploration um, and for evaluating older assets that you know, you're deciding, well, do I want to buy this or not? It's a really handy tool when you're doing that in exploration. And right now, we haven't seen as much exploration in the last, let's say, five or six years, and or more years if you're thinking about continental US. Um, so if we see an uptick in that, we might see more, more interest on that side, but a lot of operators are really focused on what they have, drill that out, continue um, drilling that inventory, and then once they get past that, we anticipate 
more interest from some of your traditional players, traditional oil and gas players in the onshore U.S. Okay. Very interesting. Well, I think the we are we are coming up on time, so we do need to start transitioning into the final questions. But I think that's a good stopping point for for that discussion on pressure data and the excitement at, to bringing dark data to light and trying to get trying to see the value and see how we can use these data sets to make more projects more profitable and more productive and overall just better for everything so thank you with that with that let's transition into these final questions we're going to go rapid fire through them the first one being what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend i just finished reading bob Iger's book the ride of a lifetime great book all right Writing that one down, adding it to the list. The next question, how do we get to net zero? It's a good question. I think it's really tough. I think CCS will play a role. But I think what's also going to play a role in how we define scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. Obviously, it's going to be a lot easier if we don't have to worry as much about the scope three. Um, but I think CCS and operational efficiency are going to play a huge role in scope one, scope two. All right. Now, the last one, you actually get to ask me a question. What's your background? I don't think we covered that at the beginning of the show. No, we did not. So thank you for the question. And I, I would assume most of my audience knows this, but you obviously don't. A new member of the audience, I'm sure. So my background, I am a geologist. I've got a PhD in geophysics, and I've been doing both academic into private commercial geothermal resource exploration and reservoir characterization, numerical modeling, all that kind of fun stuff. So I work with a company called Tavera. We're a small, small consulting company working on helping people understand the subsurface better, where they've got it. If they have any problems, we can help them understand it. If they've got any any acreage that they need to figure out if there is a way to develop it, we can help them with that. It is always fun to have more data. So it's it's great to hear these new data sets coming online to think through how we can utilize those to really better characterize the subsurface. And almost everybody I talk to and every project we do, one of those takeaways that I always say is more data. We need more data. Let's go collect more data. So I think we're on the same page on that and very exciting to think through. But that's my background. I'm just a, I'm just a rock jock, just like you. <laughs> right on. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Stop by the TGS booth. All right. You heard it. By the time you listen to this, you won't be able to stop by the TGS booth. But for you, there is a link in the show notes. So if you didn't get to stop by the TGS booth, go to TGS.com and check out this data set and all the other data sets they have. And with that, we're getting kicked out. 
Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Remember, until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.